Someone in the crowd said to him, that's Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care that you be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor weep, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If you then are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory would have arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations in the world seek after these things. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and those things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's pleasure, his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The words of the Lord. What we have in these words is a call to a better way of life, a way of life that is free of worry. A way of life that is happier the more it gives rather than the more it receives. And ultimately, a way of life that ends in eternal life and riches rather than ending in death. Again, two staples of suburban life that have plagued humanity for ages, Jesus addresses here. Our tendency to worry about everyday things, like do we have enough money? Are we going to make it tomorrow? And our tendency to hang on to what we have and want more rather than just freely give it to anyone who might need it. He addresses both of these tendencies with one fundamental heart change, one foundational change that if you make it will completely obliterate worry in your life. And if you make it, we'll open up your hands and make you the kind of person who just loves to give things away. Now, as I say it that way, it makes it sound easy, doesn't it? Just make this one change and boom, these problems will go away. The trouble is, it is such a deep and foundational change 
that most people are not willing to make it. And in fact, we may walk out of here today hearing it and rejecting it, saying, no, that is too deep of a change. That's not a change that I'm willing to make. So first, Jesus speaks to this desire we have to collect more stuff, more riches, more wealth, with the mistaken notion that those things will make us happy. A man comes to him, maybe a young or middle-aged man, who has a dispute with his brother. His brother is getting the family inheritance, and he wants a share in that inheritance. It was common in that day to go to your teacher, your rabbi, or you know whatever celebrity pastor you listen to on the internet, or your pastor, or your Sunday school teacher, whoever the teacher was in your life, you'd go to them sometimes to ask them to settle disputes. You might be having a fight with your spouse about something, and you say, well, you know what, we both look up to this person, this person's wise, let's just go and let them be a referee, and we'll both agree to do whatever they say, let them resolve the dispute for you. You might lose, but at least the fight is over, right? And this man comes to Jesus, evidently looking to Jesus as a teacher. And he says, I got a dispute. My brother's getting all the inheritance, and I think I am entitled to a share in it. But he won't give it to me. Settle this dispute for us. And Jesus says, I'm not going to play that game. No, I'm not your judge. I'm not your arbitrator. I'm not here to get you the stuff in this world that you think you want. Instead, he sees the covetousness in this man's heart. He sees that, he seems to think that if he gets that share in the inheritance, then he'll be happy. And Jesus knows better, right? He knows that share in the inheritance is not ultimately going to make him happy. So instead of deciding the dispute, he settles the heart issue for the man and uses it as a moment to teach the whole crowd around him. He says, be on guard against covetousness like this. Your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. And he begins to tell a story to teach that lesson. And here's how that story goes. There was a wealthy man who owned lots of land. In that day, landowners were the ones who really had made it. So that might be the equivalent of like Tom O'Brien right across the street there, owning that wonderful Chrysler dealership and many others in town. Or Ray Skillman owns several in town. Like some of those guys that are known in town for how much they own, how well they manage it, how happy their employees are. Those guys who have really made it. This man is like one of those, you know, lots of land, probably has lots of employees, is really living the life. And then on top of that... Rather than having the rough and difficult year that the car dealerships have had this year, this man has a bountiful year. His crops produce, I don't know, 10 times more than he ever thought they would produce. So much that he doesn't have room in the barn to hold all of the wealth that he suddenly has. So this would be like if O'Brien next to us suddenly sold so many cars and had so many new ones coming in that he was just in a frenzy trying to buy up more parking lots and find places to store all the cars and hiring more employees and really just had a hard time managing all of this sudden wealth that he had received That's a good problem to have, but it's a problem, right? And this rich landowner has a problem. So he's got to figure, okay, my barn's not big enough for all of the stuff that I have now, all the wealth that has been given to me. What am I going to do? And he says in verse 18, he's he's got a solution. Let's look at verse 18. We'll see what his solution is. He says, and I said, I'll do this. 
I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store my grains and my goods. So his solution is, well, pretty sensible, right? You got too much stuff, well, tear down that barn and build a bigger one. And sometimes this happens, right? Some people make so much money that evidently if you make a ton of money, you can't just put it all in your checking account like most of us would do. But you got to, I don't even understand it, but really wealthy people have to restructure their whole portfolio and redesign all of their accounts to handle all this wealth. He restructures his whole estate so that it can handle all of this wonderful newfound wealth, as many people have to do. It's a lot of work when all of this blessing comes in and you got to rearrange things so that you can handle it. And then his real end game here becomes plain in verse 19. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So this guy has made it. He is the one that most people around us in Greenwood, Indiana, would like to be. That one who can retire young, and say, I got my whole life ahead of me. I have all of the money and provisions I need. I have no one I need to care for, so we can just go travel wherever we want to, eat out at whatever restaurant we want to. We can spend the rest of our decades enjoying all of the good things in life. This is what most people that we live nearby are seeking. And this is what many of us in our hearts are seeking. And so Jesus has his listeners engaged right now saying, oh man, this is what I want, right? I want to be this guy. I want to be this guy that's done so well. He can retire early and he can do whatever he wants because all of his goods are laid up. Great nest egg. I can do whatever I want and enjoy the good things in life. Is that not the good life? Oh, that's what I want. And then... In verse 20, the hammer drops. Verse 20 reads like this. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? In the Bible, a fool is a person who lives either like God is not real or like the world is not how God has made it. Like, for instance, some of you guys grow tomatoes and you're thinking about maybe what you're going to do in the next couple of months with your tomatoes. Those of you that know a lot about it can tell me more than I know about it. But as much as I know, around here, a couple weeks after Mother's Day, it's time to put them in the ground. you got to feed them and water them a certain way. you got to plant them a certain way. you got to do all sorts of things just so when you're growing your tomatoes, right? And that is because God made tomato plants to work a certain way, right? There is a design to the world that if you don't submit to it, it's not going to go well for you. So if you say to yourself, well, you know what? I want tomatoes in May in my backyard, so I'm going to start growing them in March. And I know you're supposed to put them this far apart, but I'm going to put them right next to each other because I want more tomatoes. You start doing tomatoes your own way, and some of you know really well that's not going to work. right? Come mid-March, there's going to be a frost. It's going to kill all of your plants. If you don't do tomatoes the way that tomatoes are made to be done, it's not going to work. If you don't do life the way that God designed it in the big things and the little things, you're living like he's not real and like he didn't make the world to work the way that he did. Now, tomato plants are a small thing for many of us. They're a hobby that we get into, but this is true for the big things, too. 
you try to do family and marriage differently than how God made them because you wish they were different, it's just not going to go well for you. It doesn't work that way. If you try to do life a way differently than it's designed, it's just not going to work because life doesn't work that way. And sometimes it can take a long time for that to catch up with you. But wisdom says, no, God made the world the way he made the world. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to understand it. I'm going to read it from his word. I'm going to try to do life the way that he says to do it. That'll go better for you. Now, some of these wise truths, you got to have access to the word of God to understand. But some of them are plain. Even if you've never read your Bible, there are things you know about life. And one of those plain things that we really can't deny is that all of us die. And you never know when your time is going to come. Right, even if you've never read your Bible before, if you've been to enough funerals, you've got enough evidence to figure that out. Right, My time will come, and I don't know when it's going to happen. If you've been to enough especially tragic funerals, you've got enough to know, I really don't know. It could be tomorrow. It could be tonight. I'm not guaranteed another breath. Right, This is a tragic reality of how the world works right now. And this man has lived like a fool because... He tried to live denying this. He tried to store up all of his possessions in this life when he really should have known that at any moment he could breathe his last and then what would happen to them? Even though he can't take any of these things with him, he has stored them up in a place where for eternity he won't have access to them anymore. He has tried to live thinking that the abundance of temporary possessions in this world is the best way to live. He's tried to live like the one who dies with the most stuff wins. When reality is the one who dies with the most stuff dies. And in the end, we all go into the same ground. I talked once to a pilot. I was sitting, I think it was in a layover in an airport. And if you ever get to sit next to a pilot, just ask him to tell a story. I don't know why, but they all tell really great stories. And fascinating things happen up there in the air, all kinds of adventures. And so this pilot was telling me about how he was flying, you know, a pretty normal life, a pretty normal route. And he had a, you know, a nice middle class income from it. And he had been offered a transition into a new route with his airline. And this new route would come with a pretty good increase in pay so much that he could live the same comfortable way he'd been living, except now he could retire pretty wealthy. And it had a really steady schedule. He would fly from, I think, New York, but somewhere in the States, over to Russia every day and then back, and do that a few times a week, predictably, no real bumps in the schedule. And when you fly from the States to Russia like this, with this particular route, you might think that you'd go around the world to do it, but actually you go over the North Pole because it's a lot shorter that way. So you just take this kind of shorter than you would think fly over the North Pole, have some fun in Russia, come back. And that's all he would have to do. So he's like, this looks really good. I was thinking about doing it. Uh, but then he learned that there was some uncertainty as to how safe that is to do often because the atmosphere is different around the North Pole. Radiation is absorbed into the body differently there. And there was some reason to believe, though not hard proof, that maybe you're exposed to more radiation on that route regularly, leaving you at a higher risk for cancer. And the verdict wasn't out. He didn't really know what the truth was. But he said, you know what? I watched enough of my friends fly that route for 10 years, retire rich at 60, get a diagnosis at 61, and die at 62. He said, I just looked at it, and I thought, 
I don't want to wind up rich and dead. And so he didn't take the transfer. He continued working the inconvenient route because it's better to be okay and alive than to be rich and dead. Now, I don't know about the details of radiation and cancer and some of those things, but I know this much. That pilot had some wisdom. You don't want to wind up rich and dead. You don't want people to say at your funeral, boy, he really lived it up, and now he's dead. That's not the end that we want. You don't want... Oh, man, they, they got to go to so many awesome places, and, and now they're dead. And that's not how you want it to end. You don't want, man, he owned two dozen houses, and now he's dead. That, that's not the ending that we want to life. And so the story becomes a cautionary tale to tell us that our picture of the good life is wrong. This man got everything that we are seeking after, right? Wealth, time to enjoy it, financial freedom, everything we're seeking. And then he died the next day. That's a tale to us that all of the things we are seeking, we could get them tomorrow and then die the day after tomorrow. And what good would they be? No good at all. The point is what he has already said in verse 15. Trace back to verse 15. We'll read that together. He says to him, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for, here it is, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So, By covetousness, or your translation may say greed or greediness, he just means that desire constantly for more and better, right? More stuff and a better life. I think that fuels us to keep going. More stuff, better life. More thing, better this. More and better, more and better. It's never satisfied, right? That covetousness, that greediness. Be on guard, he says, against that. Our hearts are all bent toward it because we think that the point of life is to amass the most wealth before we die. And his point is, no, the, the one who wins that game still loses, just like everybody else. There must be something more important to live for. If, it's not, if life is not found in the abundance of one's possessions, it must be found somewhere else. There must be something better out there. And that's what Jesus wants us to see. First, he wants to crush our desires to live for more and better, more stuff and a better life. And then he will begin to tell us what that better thing is to live for. But before he does that, he takes us on another path. Because the truth is, most of us don't wind up like that rich man kind of winning the lottery and getting all that stuff, right? What's it like for regular people to seek after more and better when you don't always get more and better? Well, the truth is, your life becomes filled with worry. And so that's where he goes next. Let's move on to verse 22. He says to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. A couple things to notice here. First, he starts with the word therefore, 
All right, that is a cue that what he is saying here is connected to what was before. These two stories are connected here. So because you don't want to wind up like that rich man whose life was required of him, therefore, don't worry about these everyday things. Don't worry about what you will eat. Don't worry about what you will put on. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothes. You don't want to wind up like that guy. And then he says the reason again in verse 23. Now, before he said, for one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions, he says essentially the same thing now. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Here he is again, hinting that there is something better to live for than more food, more food, more clothes, better clothes. There's something better to live for than the abundance of wealth. And then he gives us two reasons, two pictures, the birds and the flowers. He says, if you want to see how well your Heavenly Father can care for you, he desires to, just look at the ravens. Right? They don't have barns. They don't care for themselves. And the ravens, nobody's caring for them, right? except the Lord feeds them. He remembers them. Now, some of us, as a hobby, like to fill bird feeders and attract the most beautiful birds. You know, if you put the right kind of uh, sunflower seeds in there, you can get cardinals sometimes. Some of y'all know how this works. But I bet you're not trying to attract ravens so that you can feed the ravens, right? There are some kind of birds we want, and we really work hard to feed them. And then there are pigeons and ravens and the ones that just kind of make it on their own without any of us caring for them, right? Who is caring for all of those pigeons that are all over the place? Who is caring for all of those ravens and all of those vultures that we aren't working to feed in our backyards? There is someone doing that, and it's the Lord God, their maker, he makes sure that they have all that they need. He holds them in his hand the whole time. He says elsewhere, not two sparrows fall to the ground without the Lord knowing about it. Right? He remembers everything he has made, and he will look after you as well, he says. And he moves on to the lilies in the field. Now, some of you have gardens where you care for flowers, and we take care of our flowers. We take care of our gardens, right? But then there are fields that you don't care for. All right, next to your house, maybe there is a field that no one is tending to it, and yet flowers grow up in it, and they look beautiful. My family walks by the field that's near our house, and it's just an abandoned field. One day they want to build some stuff there. I think it's got one of those like phase two neighborhood signs on it with what they want to do one day. Right now they're not doing anything with it, but we walk by, and in the season, we just see how beautiful these flowers are. We're taking pictures of them. Nobody's caring for those flowers. Except the God who made them makes sure that they have all they need, and he clothes them in so much splendor that we feel like we need to take pictures of it with our phone when we walk by them. This is how well God cares for the things that he has made. If he does that for unclean birds like ravens and for the flowers of the field that nobody takes care of, if you're one of his children, he's, he's going to take care of you. He knows what you need. And in fact, he knows what you need better than you know what you need. You think all you need is food and clothes for right now, but he's got a plan for your life and a mission for you, and he'll give you all you need for that because he knows that life is more than food and that your body is more than what it is clothed in. So he's providing maybe not what you want for your material needs right now, but for those eternal more than food, more than clothing needs, he's willing to provide those for you. 
So as you read this, this is not some kind of guarantee that there's like a minimum poverty level for a Christian and you're guaranteed never to go below that level. That's not what he's saying here. Actually, later on in Romans 8, Paul makes it pretty clear. Some people go hungry for the sake of the gospel. Some people are beaten and persecuted for the sake of the gospel. Now, what he means here is several things. One, that no matter what you're going through, you're going through it in God's hand, right? He has not forgotten about you, but he knows how to care for you and he's taking you through it. It's also a statement of his character that he probably will give you many good things besides. Right? He'll say it later, all these things will be added to you. They're bonuses, but they're there. And it is a guarantee that the things you really do need, he provides those generously and abundantly. Trouble is, if your life goal is to get the most stuff, that's not going to satisfy you, Right? Knowing that God will get you everything you need to get to the finish line and maybe not a cent more, that's not going to make you happy if your goal is to live the good life. And so what's going to happen instead? Well, you're going to seek it yourself. You're going to seek all that good stuff yourself. And it's going to be tough to get it. And so you're going to worry every day because you're not guaranteed it. And it's going to feel like you're building a, a house of cards in a windstorm that keeps blowing and blowing your house of cards down. You're worried all the time. Oh, man, this thing looks fragile. I don't know if this is going to work. And then, boom, a bad diagnosis comes and knocks some of the cards down. And you just feel like you're always working against the system, worrying like you were building a house of cards. And that's because you are building a house of cards. And one day, it is always going to fall down. So, so many ways he is showing us here that seeking more and better with your life is not the way to live, but it ends instead in death, just like every other life does. And so he says in verse 29, don't seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink and be worried for all the nations of the world seek after those things, and your Father knows that you need them. All the people around you, mo most people driving around Greedwood are seeking that stuff more and better. More stuff, better life. He says, don't do that. That's what the United States does. That's what England does. That's what Africa does. What every nation in the world does. We seek more and better. He says, not for my followers. I got, I got something better for you to seek than more stuff and a better life. And at long last, he tells us what it is. If that's not it, what is it? And there we are in the very next verse, verse 31. Here it is. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Here things are in the right priority. All that other stuff, that's just added, just bonus. Maybe you get it, maybe you don't. Who cares? What do you seek? His kingdom. That is what a Christian lives for. So what is his kingdom, right? Well, God reigns in heaven as king, and he has sent his son to set up his kingdom here on earth. 
And some of you know the story, some of you may not. He came to earth, he died, he rose, he ascended up into heaven. He promises he's going to return. And when he returns, he's going to do it as king, which is very, very good news for a Christian, for one of his followers. So he promises he's going to come back and everything that is wrong with this planet, he is going to make it right and make it new. A planet with no destructive storms a planet with no viruses and plagues, a planet that doesn't have all these mysterious, is it warming up and why is it warming up problems that we can't seem to solve, a planet with no problems, a new heavens and a new earth. And then as he does that, he will raise all of us from the dead, all of our bodies from the dead. Those who have refused him in this life, he will send away to eternal judgment. Those who have received him in this life, he will welcome into his kingdom and give to us new glorified bodies that are like the resurrection body he got when he rose from the dead. Bodies that don't do all the stuff that plagues us. Bodies that don't need surgeries. Bodies that don't have problems. Bodies that don't get sick. Bodies that don't wear out. Bodies that are cured of all of the troubles that we have in these temporary bodies here. Then he will reign there as king and set up the first fully just government in the world. Government that because the king is wise and true and knows all things, government that never gets anything wrong. Government that never passes one bad law. Government where there is not one corrupt or unjust officer working in it. The government we are all crying out for, he will set up as king. His people will live there with him, in his kingdom, ruling with him. And the very best part is that we'll get to be with God. Yeah. We, we will see his face there. Not just living like a great flourishing life. I mean, that's amazing, but it would get boring after a while without Jesus there. He will be there. And so in Revelation, we get these glimpses into it. And one of the themes, one of the things you keep seeing is that when there are people in heaven or in the new heavens and new earth, they are singing and shouting. At one point, the sound is described like a voice of many roaring waters, like thunder. And you think it's going to be like angels or God. Or, no, it's us in heaven singing to God because what we have in him there is so great that we will sing and shout and praise without even having to be told to. That's what's coming to us in the kingdom. That's the kingdom of heaven that's going to be built. And can you see, if you've got a glimpse of that, can you see how securing a place there is so much more important than having your IRA sorted out? Having your IRA sorted out is important. Don't neglect it. But how much more important is it to have a place secured in the kingdom? How much more important than making sure everything is situated just right in our homes? How much more important is it to secure a place in our kingdom? How much more important than whatever thing it is you're seeking next, that promotion or that house or whatever it is, if you get it, oh, I hope you do. But how much bigger would it be? to have a place secured in that kingdom. And so Jesus says, seek instead the kingdom. That's worth living for. That's worth giving your life to. And he says elsewhere that you can't serve two masters. You, you can't try to have it both ways and live for that kingdom 
and seek as much money as you can get. You can't do both at once. You got to choose. And if you got to choose, which one's better? The kingdom of God is better. Here's how you get into that kingdom. This is the secret for entrance. Now, the reason we're not by default in the kingdom is because we chose to leave it. God has ruled as king in heaven, has given us good ways, written many of them on our hearts, shown us enough in creation to know that he's worthy of worship. And yet each of us have chosen to spurn even the ways written in our hearts. Some of us access to the word, spurning those ways as well, refusing to live our lives in worship of him. This amounts to betrayal of the kingdom and running out of the gates of the kingdom. Say, no, no, we don't want you as king. We want to do things our way and build our own kingdoms. That's why we're trying to amass as much stuff as we can. We're trying to build our own kingdom. Now, if you want to go back into the kingdom, if you want to be granted entrance, the king is going to have to forgive you for what you have done so far. So how do you get that? Well, forgiveness is offered freely through the death of Jesus Christ, God's son. His death pays for all of the sins of sinners. For anyone that will turn and trust Jesus and cling to him for forgiveness, it's offered freely. And so there is no price that you must pay to be granted entrance. There is no right that you must do or tradition or ceremony you must follow to earn the king's favor. There is simply one who is willing to stand in your place and endure your punishment for you if you are willing to trust in him. If you look to Jesus, he will do everything necessary to grant you entrance into the kingdom. So that means... The only thing worth living for is freely offered to you. Can I just say, friend, take it. This is the best offer you'll ever be given in your whole life. The most important thing, the only thing worth living for, and you can just have it. All you must do is turn from this life and trust Jesus. That's all it takes, and he's willing to give you that forgiveness. Seek first that kingdom. Now, that's the first way we seek the kingdom because that's the eternal kingdom that's being built. There's a little more to it, and that is that in this world now, over the past 2,000 years and, and continuing on, he is building little pictures of his kingdom in the church. That's what the church does here. Our job is to show a little bit of what this glorious kingdom will be like. So when we stand and we sing out, we're just giving people a little picture of those shouts that are going to happen in Revelation. When people come in and we welcome all different kinds of people. It's just a little picture of the panorama of different kinds of people that are going to be there in the kingdom. He's building the church now as sort of a, an embassy of the kingdom, a picture of what it's going to be like. So part of how we seek the kingdom is longing for it coming, right? Praying your kingdom come. The other way we seek the kingdom is, that, is being a part of building it now. We do that by caring for the poor. We do that by serving the church and being dedicated to it. We do that by giving our lives to giving the gospel to as many people as we can. And this way, we seek the kingdom as well. And so the fundamental change that he calls us to is seeking his kingdom and not more money and a better life. Turn for more money to better life, and you seek his kingdom. Now, you can probably see how that crushes worry, right? 
There's a debate. Some of you don't know about this, and I'm so glad you don't know. Many of you do. There's a debate going on right now about whether it's better to part your hair in the middle or the side on the internet. Can you believe that? <laughs> Can I just say, who cares, right? When we have an eternal kingdom set before us, who cares if you're wearing the right hairstyle today? Who cares if skinny ties are in style and you're wearing a wide tie? Who cares about all of these things? You don't worry about them anymore, right? Because you've got an eternal kingdom set before you. When you've got little problems in your life and you're not sure how tomorrow's needs are going to be, be met, I've got a God who gave me eternity. Surely he'll give me whatever I need right now. And if he doesn't give it to me, I don't need it. And boom, just like that, your worry is crushed. What a better way to live. There's another way that it changes you, and that comes in verse 32. He says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What king says, it is my good pleasure and decree to give you the kingdom? That's what we've got as Christians, right? So how is that going to change us? Well, here's another way in verse 33. So sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide for yourself the money bags that won't grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. So when you've got everything coming to you in eternity, when the king of the universe says, my pleasure is to give you the kingdom and everything along with it, suddenly all these things you have in your life just kind of lose their value because they're not all that you have anymore. This isn't a command, by the way, to sell all your possessions for a few reasons. The word all isn't even there in the first place. And he's talking about the way that receiving the kingdom will change your heart. He is saying that if you are sure and certain you have eternity coming to you, if you just get a little picture of how rich you are going to be in eternity... Then you look at, you know, whatever luxuries you have, your extra car, your second house, or whatever nice things you have. I have a couple extra guitars. Whatever they are, you look at them and you say, well, that's fun, but you know what would be really fun? Just give it away, right? You know what would be, you know be really fun is instead of doing all this fun stuff we want to do, what would be really fun is if we just started an orphanage together. You know, it would be really fun is if we gave all of that to the needy. You know, it would be really fun is if we started a ministry together. You know what would be really fun? We've got our, the rest of our retirement ahead of us, and we're self-funded. We could just be self-funded missionaries anywhere in the world that we want to. That's the kind of thoughts and things you get excited about when you see how rich you are going to be in heaven and how fleeting all of these worldly riches are. Church, that's how our church has done some of the financial marvels that we have done. That's how you build a $3 million education building, right? There are a whole lot of people that say, hey, it's just money, all right? Yeah, I can let go of it. That's, that's how you do that. That's how we did that. And whatever good things God has for us, it's that eternal perspective that is going to enable us to do it. It's going to change our hearts and allow us to do that. When we do... He says later in verse 33, what you're providing yourselves with is a money bag that doesn't grow old and treasure that doesn't fail. So when you take your riches and you, you give them either to the poor or, or to whatever thing Jesus would have you give them to, you're actually not losing them. You're putting them in a heavenly bank account. 
Now, you could put your money in the stock market, and you could get some increase from it. Or it could tank, and you could lose it all. That's the way stock market works. You put it in the money bags that don't grow old. You put it in heaven's savings account. And just wait to see how much you're going to have when you arrive in the kingdom. Because I never knew an account could pay off. I didn't even realize that I was investing. I thought I was just giving it away because I didn't need it. And now it's multiplied a hundredfold as eternal riches waiting for me in heaven. This is what happens when we give things away to the causes that are close to Jesus' heart. There's a parable that says, He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord who will surely repay You want a good investment plan. You want to set up your future. What do you do? Give to the poor. Give to those who are in need. And watch in eternity how big that payoff is. That is the blessing of the one who seeks the kingdom first. The one who doesn't hold on to these things and finds it easy to give them away. Some of us have spent our lives chasing more and better. There are different versions of more and better, but many of us have spent our lives changing it. Christian, here is a call to live for something better, to live for the kingdom of heaven, to live in joy that you have that place secured for you by Jesus, and to just spend all you can multiplying your riches there. Some of you who may not follow Jesus, you may not be his followers. Here is a call to turn from your lifestyle and follow him instead. Can you see how much better he is and how much better his ways are? Turn from the world and follow him. Let's pray together.